Well, uh, did you know that we were created by a generous God? Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Uh, we actually were, and I think that that's really what the center is of who we are as a people, that we are called to be a people of generosity. Uh, we often um, you know, think about what does it mean to be a generous person, and uh, so often we just say, well, it's about money. It's not just about money. It's about generous of, of spirit of who we are. I've been sharing the last couple of weeks that, that not only does God uh, call us to share back uh, portions of that which he's blessed us monetarily, but we're also to look at ourselves as we talked about last week about how can I serve, how can I be the hands, the feet, the arms and legs, the heart, how can I be Jesus with skin on here on earth? And I hope that as we've been talking about generosity these last couple of weeks that, that both of those messages have been clicking for you. Because it's, it's one thing to, to be able to help financially. It's a, it's a whole thing to be able to give of all yourself um, in God's work with the things that we see. Well, I want to share with you, we often look at the story of Cain and Abel as um, we wrestle with that and we say, oh, it's a story about relationships. And uh, we learn about, you know, how one gets angry at the other. But you know what? If we really were to look at the story in chapter 4 more closely in Genesis, we find out that the story is not really about you know, relationships and being nice to each other. We find out that the story really is about their generosity back with God. Um, uh, Abel, uh, they were brothers, so Abel was the one who, who basically gave his offering to God from his cattle, from his sheep, from his livestock. And I can imagine, as the scriptures say, that, that he was looking very closely and carefully at every animal that he had as part of, of his lot, so to speak. And as he was looking at those, he wanted to make sure that they were unblemished, which meant that they were perfect. And those were the ones that he was going to give God as an offering. Cain, his brother, uh, decided instead of looking at livestock and the things that he owned that way, that he would give God an offering of crops. Now, there's nothing wrong with offering. He was a farmer, and, and there was nothing wrong with that. But as we, as we look at the scriptures and as we've kind of come to learn the story through the years, we've come to understand that maybe Cain had a different eye on the way in which he was giving an offering. That maybe Cain was looking at the crops that had already fallen from the bush, so to speak. The crops that had already fallen from the tree. The ones that are low-hanging fruit that have fallen to the ground. Anybody own an orange tree in your yard? You see every now and then those oranges are on the ground, right? And if you're not careful, they rot very quickly. So Cain's offering was probably that way, and, and so they were, um, it was offerings that were on the ground, it was fruit that was over, um, overripe, so to speak, and probably some animals were gnawing on it. And that's what he gave God. And we learn in that story that God sees both Cain and Abel, and God sees the generosity that they're bringing, and God awards Abel uh, his favor, because God says, you have given your best. And Cain then, we know the story as it comes out, that Cain gets angry at that. And what does he do? He kills his brother Abel. And he runs and he hides from God for the rest of his life. So it's really important for us to understand that, that, that God really does love us more when we're cheerful, when we're, when we're generous, when we are the kind of people that puts God first in everything that there is about us. I shared with you week one that, that uh, there's nothing wrong with having, there's nothing wrong with, with having means, there's not even anything wrong with being wealthy, that God blesses in so many ways. But the question becomes, how will we guide that? How will we direct that? How will we use that wealth in such a way that brings the kingdom's purpose into the forefront? So when you give, 
uh, what you do is you, you're actually giving God an opportunity to do something miraculous in your life because you trust God with what you have and you give there. there. So, so when you give, let's say through the life of this church, did you know that part of what you give goes to sustain not only work that we do here locally, but, but we also do things that go and help Carolyn Goodwin, our, our missionary in Africa. Did you know that whenever you give your tithes and your offerings, that, that it also goes and it helps develop our young people? It, it looks at our children, our students, and even our older adults and younger adults, and, and it gives them an opportunity to be on a pathway of discipleship. When we give, we also see that, that we are outreach-oriented, that we provide food and we provide backpacks and, and we, we deal with the underfed and the under, un, under-abled, so to speak, those that are in need. We, we actually help with that. So therefore, we find out that through our generosity that great things happen. And oh yes, by the way, through our giving, we also pay to have lights on Sunday morning and a heater that runs all the time. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. I appreciate that. So, so what we find out is, is the total gift helps bring blessing in so many ways. But when we give, we give God the opportunity to respond. I want to take us to uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. There's a story in 1 Kings 17 about a woman who's a widow. And we learn, out, learn very quickly that she's a woman without much means, which means that um, she didn't have much money at all. And if we look at the heart of Jesus and Jesus' ministry, we know that, that widows were very important in a mindset of focus for Jesus. We're to care for those who don't have much. And in this story, we know that this widow has a, a, a son as well. And so she is uh, going and trying to come up with enough food product for herself to basically have one final meal before she dies. But God speaks to the prophet Elijah and says, I want you to go and find this woman, and I want you to do something miraculous into her life. So let's go to this story in 1 Kings 17. I'm going to pick up at verse 12, and let's see what happens. As surely as the Lord God lives, she replied, she's talking to Elijah, I don't have any bread. So Elijah comes to her and says, I'm very hungry and I need something to eat. Can you feed me? So, so she's sitting there thinking like, I, I barely have enough to feed me and my son. And now somebody from the outside is asking me to feed him. So that's the setup of the story. As surely as the Lord uh, God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour left in a jar and just a little bit of olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to, make, uh, to take home and to make a meal for my son and myself that we may eat it, and then what she says, and die. So Elijah has a response to this. So the prophet says, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. So he's basically saying, before you go and, and feed yourself and feed your child, why don't you give me a small portion and let me have some of that to eat? So he goes on to say, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, that the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So Elijah's making a promise to her that basically anytime she goes and reaches in this jar for flour, she's going to have flour. Anytime she needs olive oil to make her bread, she's going to have olive oil. Have you ever thought about, you know, if you could have one wish? You know, people say, I wish I had a million dollars. You know what I would wish for? That every time I reached in my pocket, I had enough money to pay for whatever I wanted to do. Right? You see the difference? So the, so the prophet is making, is making the promise 
that God will provide. It says that she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word that the Lord had spoken to Elijah. Now think about it. The widow had to take a risk. I I have enough to feed myself and my son, and now this prophet from God comes and says, I need a little bit of food too. Notice he doesn't say, give me all of your food. He says, give me a portion. So she has to take a risk, and she steps out and she takes a risk. It's what we call sacrificial giving. She sacrificially feeds the prophet, and the result is that she and her son have enough flour and enough oil basically to last until God sends the rains. Now, some might look at this story and say, wow, the woman was tremendously blessed and, and you know, God really did something, a favor in her, in her life, and because she did this, that, that kind of happened, and so on and so forth. But if you continue to read the story, what we find out is that this woman's son gets sick and he dies. And, and that's not part of, of what she had hoped, is it? So Elijah comes and takes the boy up into the prayer room and he prays over her son and he pours out his prayers on her. And what happens? The boy, his life is restored. He comes back to life and God continues to do miracles in her life. Now, when I said earlier that if we give to God, God will do miraculous things, had she not complied or done what the prophet had said, she would have never known any more about what God could do. And therefore, in the midst of this whole relationship that was established, something great came to be. Uh, second story I want to look at is that um, it's the story of Moses. And when I read the scriptures, I, uh, I often try to, to insert myself into the story. And I would encourage all of us to do that. Is, you know, instead of Jesus talking to Peter or Jesus talking to whomever, what if Jesus were speaking to you? What does it mean for you to be in the story and therefore learning about the lessons of what God is teaching? So, so I was reading the call of Moses recently, and as I was looking at this call, I, I started to chuckle because you know a couple of things were coming through my mind. Number one, I think we all can see ourselves in some way in Moses' story. You know, Moses is touted as this great biblical leader, and if we're not careful, we're going to believe that. But in reality, Moses was a wimp when he was first called. You know, he tried everything in his power to get away from what God was saying. It's almost like Jonah running away because God said, I need you to proclaim this specific word. And Moses ran away from God, and Moses um, wasn't ready to stand up. But So God is looking at Moses, and Moses is asking thousands of questions. He's almost like Columbo, right? Those of you that remember Columbo, one more question. You know, Moses is asking, but, but who's going to believe that you sent me? But what am I supposed to do when, and how come this, and how come that, and why, why, and how, and why, and all those different things, and what? And God finally just looks at Moses and says, Moses, I'm tired of your excuses. What's that in your hand? And Moses says, well, it's my shepherd's staff. And God says, I want you to do something. And God commands Moses to do something, and God says, Moses, I want you to trust me, and I want you to do and be obedient as I have said, and follow my lead. So let's pick up the story in Exodus chapter four, verses one through five. So Moses is constantly objecting to God on this, 
They won't trust me. They won't listen to a word. When you send me to Egypt, they're not going to believe that you sent me. How can I be the deliverer? Pharaoh won't listen to me or anything like that. So God said, Moses, what's that in your hand? A staff. And he says, throw it on the ground. And Moses throws it on the ground and it becomes a snake. And Moses jumped back fast. I mean, imagine how many of you like snakes? So see this big old snake down there? He jumps back fast. So God says to Moses, reach out and grab it by the tail. Now, look, Steve Irwin used to always tell us, grab it by the head up the top so it can't bite you, right? So God says, grab this by the tail. And he reaches down and he grabs it, the scripture says, and he was holding his staff again. So this snake, when he picked it up, turns back into his shepherd's staff. And that's so they will trust that God appeared to you, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the scripture says. What is it that's happening in this story? God's question to Moses is significant. What is that in your hand? What is it that you have in your hand? There's no other question that can be any more relevant to anything in Moses' life as well as ours is when God asks that question, what's in your hand? Because God wants to take what we have and God wants to transform it and God wants it to be used as his instrument so that his work can be fulfilled. So God takes an ordinary shepherd staff, the tool of Moses' trade, and he turns it into a powerful weapon, so to speak, a powerful personal connection to God that as Moses used that. So, so Moses, though, he doesn't really act with excitement here. Moses is kind of um, the old French term, laissez-faire. He's kind of like, eh, well, whatever, you know. He's not excited. And I think that's what happens to us sometimes. God has given us so much, and God says to us, what's in your hand? And what I've given you, it's time now to use that for my glory. I have placed my person and power and grace and everything in whatever's in your hand. But we just kind of go by that humdrum of, I don't know, you know, I'm just not really sure I can do that. But God says to Moses, stop being reluctant. It's time for you to commit. So that the, the staff in Moses' hand was the tool of his trade. It represented who he was. He was an ordinary man, now with an extraordinary item that he could be that he could use when God threw when when God said to Moses throw the staff on the ground it became something new and then God said to Moses it's now time for you to use that in the way in which I have called you so we see the question becomes what is that that's in your hand and i think as we're talking generosity what a what a great image what is that in your hand what is that that you can do to do the work of God. Most of us think that, well, it takes a lot of financial resources to do God's work, or, or I can't do this because I'm too old, or I can't do that because I'm too young, or, or I can't do this because I'm not strong enough, or, or I can't do this because I'm a female, or I'm a male, or, or whatever the case is. We're constantly battling ourselves, and we convince ourselves that we can't do it. So God challenges us this morning. What's in your hand? Use what I've given you to bring glory to the work that I've called you to do. 
Look at the disciples. When, when Jesus walked that shoreline, he called a few fishermen. He called a zealot, a tax collector. He called all sorts of um, uh, common people, ordinary people, but people that no one would have ever thought that God would choose them to be his workers. And Jesus takes a ragtag band of believers or of persons and makes them believers. And they accomplish the will of God. Let me just share with you as we're, as we're wrapping up this season of generosity. You know, I often get asked the question, well, how's the church doing, Pastor? How's the church doing? How are we doing? What, what's really happening? And you know what? I, I think the church is healthy. I think the church is doing fine. Can we do better? We can always do better. But I think it's important for us to make sure that we celebrate the great things that God is doing through the life of this church. Not to pat ourselves on the back, but to give glory to God. Why do we do what we do? It's to give glory to God. And it's to show the community and the world that God is real and that Jesus saves and that, that the church is the partner in the community called to make a difference. So I wanted to just share with you uh, some ways that, that we're seeing fruit here at St. Paul uh, United Methodist Church. Here's a, here's a couple of things. So, so our average worship attendance is 754. Someone asked me, well, I don't see that many people on Sunday, in the church on Sundays. Folks, we have a couple hundred that live stream with us. We, we have midweek worship service. It's our total combined worship, and it's, and it's the average for the year. So at this time from last year, uh, to, to this year, that's the average of, of, of our worship. But here's, here's a great one here. 21,180 total hours of serving our community. Folks, that is unreal. If anybody wants to like give God a praise offering through any of these, feel free to do that. I mean, this is, this is awesome. This is you giving back of your time to, to make things happen. That's, that's clearing out properties at, at uh, Mexico Beach after hurricanes. It's feeding the hungry. It's, it's backpacks. It's, it's, it's all the things that we do. 164 is the average weekly attendance that we, that we have on our Handy Capable ministry this past year. And, and Horton Towns, our director, and his volunteers, they're doing a, an outstanding job. And we are making plans as to how to even expand that so that we can get outside the walls of our church. Amen. So that we can get outside of the walls of our church and start reaching group homes that can't get here, but we can get there. And there'll be more about that. 5,300, that's the number of people who have watched online through the month of September. So, so these are folks that, that come and, 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 and are with us. You guys, hello, you're there. Uh, everybody wave at them, they're right there. They're a part of our church. They're not in the building, but they are a part of St. Paul. Um, 800, the number of children that, that we served uh, through our pumpkin patch bash, I think that was like a 242% increase over last year. Now, these aren't just kids that we gave candy to. We, we talked to them about Jesus, and, and we were concerned because the rain, we had to change the date of the patch bash, and, and my gosh, that's, that's just children. That's not including their parents and grandparents that came out that day. Look at this number, 10,530 persons who, who have viewed our website in some capacity over the last eight to nine months. These are people, this is how people now get introduced to churches. They don't come and sit and worship and spend an hour. They start <laughs> clicking online. What's the church's mission? What's it about? 
So multimedia and, and, and media itself is really the window and the opportunity to meet more and more people. Now, the challenge that we have is how can we connect people who are checking us out? How can we find ways to connect with them so that they can become a part of this wonderful mission we have here? 77%. So we've had um, 46 persons who have become a part of the St. Paul family. 77% of those 46 persons have, uh, have come because they're new Christians and because they have rededicated their life to Jesus Christ. Folks, that's awesome. That means that only like 20% have come by transfer from another church. This is a part of our outreach, and this, this is where we're showing that disciples are being made. 315, that's the number of folks that are involved in our small group ministries throughout, throughout the, the, the month. And, and I, I continue to say and encourage you, be a part of small group ministry. Do life together in smaller numbers and, and, and help your life develop. Here's a great number, seven, the number of church or excuse me, the number of school partnerships that we have. So we have been um, working really hard to partner with our local area schools through PACASAC, through tutoring, mentoring, our Jumpstart program that happens here on our campus, because we really feel that if we can connect with kids um, at an early age, that that then can influence the parents, then that can then influence the family. And if we can continue to work through those seven school partnerships, that we feel that we can affect a positive change here in this area. 330, that's the number of backpacks we gave out at our back to school jubilee. Uh, it's a huge number, amen, amen. And we were able to do that because of your generosity. Uh, many of you helped buy bags, many of you helped buy supplies. Um, a lot of you helped pack the bags, that's a big job. And so many of you were there at the back to school jubilee to actually meet the children and their families, so thank you. For that, look at this one, 800. That's uh, the number of Pack-a-Sack meals um, that we have prepared, amen? And um, we have a small team of folks that, that pack those meals. What's a Pack-a-Sack meal? These are meals that go to kids, uh, predominantly at Largo Middle School, that, that are um, underfed over the weekend. They may not have any food at home, but because of the generosity of St. Paul United Methodist Church, because of your focus in Pack-a-Sack ministry, they take home food so they have something to eat on the weekend. So thank you for what you do with that. Um, 280, that's the number of families that, that we have that'll be here on Monday. And those are the number of families that, that have pre-registered, I should say, to receive turkeys in our, in our annual Four Pinellas Outreach, uh, Open Arms Outreach um, Thanksgiving, amen? <clears throat> and that reminds me, if you'd like to serve, we are doing that this coming Monday. Uh, the actual event is 1 to 3 p.m. Where we, where we escort the families through the gymnasium and they get all their food products. They pick out vegetables and all. But we need help with people who can escort. We need help with people who uh, can maybe help us uh, sort some food products. So if you can show up anytime between 11 and 1 and help with the sorting, or if you want to help with the actual event, come a little bit before 1 o'clock and we can get you plugged in uh, to be a part of that. So this is just a snapshot. I mean, there's so many other things that happen here, but this is just a snapshot. So I think it's really important. So when we're asked the question, how's our church doing? I think God is using this church in a powerful way. God has taken this church and God has moved us to look outwardly. And this community truly is a better place because of the call that you've answered, the call that we answered together 
to come and to be the church of St. Paul United Methodist Church. So today is the day that we have been praying about. I've asked you to pray about this. I've written about it. We've talked about it. It's, it's these uh, giving cards. And some of you have already turned them in. We thank you for that. Those will be dedicated today as well. But what does this mean? This means that every person of this church can participate. You don't have to be wealthy to do God's work. Uh, we have, we have uh, one of our parishioners, one of our elderly parishioners, I'm going to tell you this story because it's the impact of, of, of what is. Remember in the, in the scripture about the, the, the widow with the two copper coins? Do you remember that mm -hmm. story? We have a parishioner who every week sends us two quarters taped to a piece of paper and saying, here is my offering for the week. May God be blessed in his work through St. Paul. So anybody can participate. So our hope is, is that all of us will participate. Don't just let the 20% be the ones who, who move the church forward. Let's be 100%. And can you imagine if all of us participated, the impact that we could achieve as a church? So I hope that you have been praying over this. If you haven't gotten a card before, they're inside of your pews or inside of the chair pockets. Take one out now and, and pray over it. Fill it out and help us to know how you financially will support our 2020 ministry plan, so that what we just shared as a victory for Christ, that we could double that, that we could triple that, that we could start going in places that we're starting to imagine where this could be, so that this church isn't only at 1199 Highland Avenue, but it's all throughout the region, that it's across the country, it's across the world. That's really what God is calling us to do. Amen? Amen. Amen.